0: This is just a trigger warning for anyone listening to this podcast. We do discuss miscarriage and fertility issues. So if you are going through this and you don't feel strong enough to listen to this right now, then maybe save it for a later date.
1: I think strength more and more looks like to me like the little things. So rather than the big overall strength, I think to get to that, you have to be able to get up every day even if you're
0: feeling you know in a low place or to push through things that you're scared of when you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like would it be physical muscles you'd see here at give me strength we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way for some it may be the kilograms on their deadlift but for others it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author, and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times, and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Charlie Launder is an ex-competitive gymnast who then transitioned into the fitness world as a personal trainer. She then went on to specialise in pre- and postnatal fitness and now runs her hugely successful business, Bumps and Burpees, which delivers at-home sessions to both pregnant and postnatal women. In Charlie's own life, she has experienced some of the most challenging circumstances that life can throw at you, having had two breast cancer lumpectomies at age 24 and 26. She then went on to contract MRSA and skin cancer, age 27 and 28. Charlie has most recently spoken out about her fertility experience, suffering four heartbreaking miscarriages in less than a year. And, as you can imagine, in her line of work, this is made even more difficult. Charlie is ultimately my close friend having met on my first job as a personal trainer and as someone whose strength and positive energy is something I've never not been in awe of. I am so honoured to have her with me today in what is a really important conversation about finding strength through adversity charlie welcome i'm so happy to have you here i know we've spoken about a lot together and i've tried to be a support to you over the last couple of years over all sorts of stuff that you've gone through but i wondered if we could go back first to your early life when you were a competitive gymnast which i think is amazing and i've seen all of your videos on instagram of you doing some incredible stuff but i wondered if you could take us back and share a bit about your early life in gymnastics what was it about gymnastics that kind of appealed to you well when you say
1: early life it's funny because gymnastics is such a young sport that actually I'm deemed as like a late starter and I probably I did uh, recreational gymnastics at about 10 years old and then I went into a bit more serious gymnastics at about 12 and 13 and as that might seem really young really in the sport it's like why did you start so late why did you leave it that long so I I had a natural flair for gymnastics. I was flexible. I was brave. I would try stuff. I would just just give it a go. And so actually I caught up relatively quickly, moved up the ranks. But it did always mean I had to work really, really hard for things that would come quite naturally to others who learnt skills when they were like six years old. Mm. I went to this club in London, in Dulwich actually, and it was just a sports hall. And every time we'd go to the session, we'd all go into the cupboard. We'd all bring out all the mats and everything. It wasn't anything crazy high-tech like they have now, but um, I absolutely loved it. And actually, it took about a year of me begging my parents to put me on the waiting list. I wanted to go so badly that I would just do cartwheels down the street. My mum would always hear crash bang upstairs and be like, (laughs) Charlie, what are you doing? So I think I was put into the sport because I had this energy that I was so determined. Mm. They were like, we literally have to put her in the sport. So I started competing all four pieces. So that's floor, vault, beam and bars. From the age of about 13, 14, and obviously in that sport you have to work up the levels. So mm. I flew through the first couple because um, I was sort of playing catch up. And then my coach suggested that I train some more hours. So it really quickly went from just like a Saturday morning class to Wednesday after school, Thursday after school, Friday after school, Saturday, 9 till 5. So mm. it was it quickly went from two hours a week to like 20. But the competitive aspect
0: of it really, really helped me and yeah it became my whole entire life did you kind of thrive off the pressure because obviously as a young kid like that's a lot of pressure it's, and a yeah. lot of hours and you're like now I'm exhausted if I you know have to go yeah, to an event until nine <laughs> o'clock too. at night but I remember going to dancing as a kid and being there until gone nine o'clock eating my dinner in the car on the way there you know not getting into bed late and it, it just shows you if you really love something obviously yeah. you kind of you just throw yourself into it and me and my sister we got into it at that same club
1: at the same time she did her first competition and she was like no thanks that's too much stress I don't want do that whereas I was like oh my god give me more so I thrived off the pressure and I'd actually sometimes come home in complete tears because I didn't live up to my expectations or my coach wasn't that happy with me Mm -hmm. and my parents would say oh my god we don't have to go back don't worry if you don't want to do it anymore and I'd be like what are you talking about I love it so I think it was very intense and it put a lot of pressure on me or I put a lot of pressure on me but I've noticed in the rest of my life that actually I work really well in those kind of situations and I actively seek them out yeah
0: I know that there's a lot of pressure in gymnastics on physique and it's I guess quite a bigger focus maybe less so now but particularly back in those days I imagine that there was yeah did you feel a pressure in that sense well in some gyms
1: that I've heard of they actually they make more of a point of it and they'll weigh their gymnasts and talk about it. At my gym, there was none of that at all. So I can't actually blame any of the kind of pressure from coming from the coaches or anything like that. But I, as I was kind of into the sport a little bit later, it came at the same time where I was growing and developing. And I think I saw that as like, oh, everything's harder when you're a bit bigger. And I saw some of the girls getting boobs and hips and it became harder and puberty hit and things like this. So I... I did feel the pressure and I do remember actively sort of making sure that I wasn't overeating and I wasn't doing this and wasn't doing that mm. to try and keep myself as small as possible. But I think also a lot of it stemmed from the fact that I was very afraid of the unknown and that was including growing up. Mm. So I remember saying, oh, but what if I don't want to go to university? And my mum was like, you're 14. We don't need to discuss yeah. this now. And I was very afraid of of change and things like that. So I think I wanted to keep my body like a child, Mm. because that's where I felt comfortable. And it just escalated in the sense that everybody could see me getting smaller and smaller, but in the sport, it was kind of helpful horribly so nobody really addressed it and um, looking back now it was it was a slippery slope and you don't notice it really till it's gone too far but yeah it's it's, it's something that's really tricky because you are marked on what
0: you look like yeah. as well as the things that you perform completely and, and there's so much that I can relate to in that because I remember when I was young I really wanted to be a ballerina like that was my ultimate goal and I remember seeing ballerinas when i would go to the theater and being like well they're all they're all skinny tall (laughs) i mean all of them are smaller than me and i'm like 13 years old so how am i ever going to get up there and it was like this realization that my body wasn't wasn't right and that's a really hard thing to deal with when you're so passionate about something and you love something so much and you're suddenly at this like really awkward stage where you're growing and changing and you're fearful of what that would look like and I think that's a really tough time and I can completely relate to that and also you've spoken about and I don't know whether this is publicly or just between you and I but how you lost your period from the age of about 15 up until 20 years old so that's like a really tough I mean yeah and I haven't really spoken about it but actually Mm. now that I have learned you know,
1: in the past year or so, how important your cycle is, Mm. and actually how it's the only really sign we have of how everything's working inside. It's so damaging to lose your period. So actually, looking back, I only had one period um, at age 15, which is totally normal. And I think it completely scared the life out of me that, oh, God, oh, God, like my body's changing that I didn't have another one until I was like way out of school going to university. Mm. And I think I just put my body into this state of really, really under-eating, over-exercising and I couldn't get out of it. It was really hard to get out of because I saw it as that I needed to be like this to succeed and I wasn't ready to give up gymnastics and a lot of my friends had thought, they'd been in it since they were six and they thought, well... I'm a teenager now, I'm growing and developing, maybe now it's time to give up, but I just wasn't ready to give up. I mean, I still haven't really given up, have I? Mm, I wasn't ready to. So I think I was just holding on to that as much as I could. And as as anybody with any disordered eating can
0: tell you, you feel like you're in control, but you're absolutely not in control at all. Mm. I think there's something in being really fearful of, of starting a period like I remember when I when I first started my period I, I hid it from my mom I just didn't <laughs> want to tell anyone I was so I mean it's mort- quite it's
1: quite dramatic, I so isn't it?
0: mortified. and I was like oh my god I don't know what to do and like it is and I think that needs to be spoken about more because like I didn't really grow up in a family where it was super like we didn't talk about it loads and stuff so I just remember being like what the hell do I do? And but I also think I don't think people did really talk about it, Lowe's. And I, mm. I think now
1: we're sort of changing that a bit, which is I think so important. Yeah, definitely. Particularly when you say it's really
0: important to be in tune with your cycle. Oh my like, god! I
1: think to learn about it from a young age—not yeah. that this will happen and this is how you know, this I use a tampon. Mm. It's more that like this is why it's happening. This is why it's
0: important. I think we need to learn that from a younger age. I completely agree. So I guess coming out the back of that, you did regain your period, and you sort of I I guess addressed your issues with disordered yeah. eating. And and with your body and with food, how did that sort of look, and how did you navigate this? Well, it's it actually all like loops back to the present day a bit, which we'll come back to. But
1: I got sent to the doctor. The doctor referred me on to a counsellor. I spoke to a counsellor, and actually, I had a really rubbish experience with the counsellor. She, after the whole session, I opened my heart and like told her everything, and she said she doesn't think she was right for me and couldn't help me, and so that <gasps> kind of set me back ages because I was like what "What? I've just opened up everything and I feel like I don't want to do that again so I got recommended to go to acupuncture and I went to see this lady Emma Cannon who we both know really well and I actually currently see her now but I went to her and she said to me look my mum wasn't in the room this time she said look it's none of my business and I don't really mind because um, I'm here to do my job but you are underweight and I can see over the last few sessions that you're losing weight this is why you've not got your period it's nothing else And I was so embarrassed that she sort of hit it on the head so abruptly. But she said, do you want to be a mum someday? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And she was like, well, what you're doing now is is really unhelpful for you in the future. Mm. And that was like the turning point for me. Obviously, Mm. it was a really long journey after that and like had to really do a lot of work. But that was really, really the thing that changed it. And um, Mm. she just said, I can help you or I can just do my job. Like it's up to you. But that's my opinion on the whole thing and from that day on I went home to my mum I said right I need to eat more I need to do this and obviously there were some ups and downs but essentially I sort of looked to the future and thought oh god I'm damaging myself yeah right
0: now and so you did then go on to decide not to compete in gymnastics which must have been quite a tough decision you were super passionate about it how was that like did you find that you had to have like a complete break from it or was it just like I'm not going to compete but I'm still going to continue it because I love it well I did take a bit of a break I needed to get everything sorted and I wasn't in the right headspace for it. And I was
1: being so harsh on myself that no matter what medal I got, it wasn't going to be helpful to me. So I took a break and actually I then went to university and mm. I went to a university where I could take part in gymnastics. But, you know, with most university teams, it's a lot of fun. Like we would train and then we would go to the pub and have a drink. And it was, it was a very different style of training. We would all train really hard, but nobody cared if you didn't do a certain skill. And I regained my love for it. And it was so nice. And I really thought then I was done and like, okay, I've had so much fun. I have finished it on a high. And then when I left university and came back to London, I went along to the gym club I now go to just for like an open session and played around. And one of the coaches said, oh, well, you know, there's a a team of adults who compete here and it was sort of like music to my ears and I was like no 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 I can't I can't and he was like well it's in a couple of months if you want to give it a go and I did and I just got that love for competing again but because I couldn't train for 20 hours a week cuz I had a job mm. I just couldn't put that much pressure on myself mm. and I I came in with a different mindset and so I have been competing on and off I stopped competing in the last year and a half I'd say but I competed on and off for five six years after that which um it's really nice because it means that my gymnastics career sort of ended on how I wanted it to end yeah. it was on a
0: high and you did you did have a lot of success in those few yeah, years I became
1: like well it's called the veterans which is really unfortunate <laughs> because it's like over 18s but it's such a young sport so I became great british champion for the veterans but we just leave the veterans a bit out <laughs> which is amazing great british no champion. I was so happy and actually that was my last official british competition and so I Aww. thought let's
0: leave it at that one <laughs> well leave on a high Definitely. You have described how you had a breast cancer lumpectomy at age 24. Mm-hmm. That's really, really young, and that was before I knew you. And I think, like, too young to like even be thinking about checking. And, like, at 24, I just it just wasn't even I on know. my radars. Even though, of course, it is like a time when you should be. I mean, we should all be checking regularly. Well, actually, I have a
1: lot um, to thank Copperfield for, the breast cancer charity, and. There was a documentary that came out called Dying to Live and I would recommend anybody to go and watch it. It's on BBC, I'm sure it's on the iPlayer now, but I've watched it so many times and it's so powerful and it's all about how the founder was diagnosed late with breast cancer even though she went to the doctor portraying these symptoms and she kept getting sent away. So while I was watching it, I thought, I felt my boobs and I thought, oh, there is a bit of a lump actually on one side. And I too went to the doctors the next week and was just like, oh, I just wanted to check... And she said, oh, you're so young, it's probably your cycle and whatever, it's your hormones. And I was going away for a month, actually, I was travelling to Australia. And she said, go away to Australia, it will completely go, but if it's not, then come back when you return. And, and I did. When I went back, it was still there. Mm. I went to get it checked out. And even then, I was referred to a breast specialist clinic in the nearest hospital, and I I got called in by this older consultant. I thought, yes, I've got I've got like one of the senior doctors. Mm. He didn't even really feel it. He touched it for a second and said, oh, you're so young. It's nothing. Like, do not worry. And I said, would it be okay if you sent me for an ultrasound just, yeah. just, just to check? And he gave me this look of like, oh, wasting my time. So <sighs> annoying. And I felt so awful. But he did. He sent me down the corridor and that the nurse took a biopsy and then obviously you have to wait for the results but mm-hmm. I got sent back to his room and he said oh gosh I'm sorry I missed that oh yeah well I'm glad we found that and I just thought how many people have you sent away without pushing Aww. so basically it came back that I needed to have it removed urgently it wasn't anything really really sinister but it was cancerous and it had cancerous tendencies and I needed to get it out and it was sort of Over and done with really quite simply, but Mm. it scares me to think what would have happened if I'd have just gone, Oh, cool, great and just just left it because you just don't know. So I've been really forthcoming with this story because I want to just encourage everybody to check their whatever part of body yeah they can, men, women, because I think if it's not normal for you, Mm. just go get it checked. Mm. And the, the doctors don't love giving bad news so if you go there and they say no no that really is nothing that's a great appointment for them you know don't think you're wasting
0: anyone's time um, but I think the important thing as well is persistence absolutely if you think something is not right yeah it doesn't matter if you knock 10 times or 100 times yeah keep knocking exactly. because if it's not right something's not right and and ultimately I think the most important thing with that is you know your body better than anyone else yeah that doctor's seen 20 30 exactly. 40 people that exactly. day and some You've people only... have
1: very lumpy breasts and yeah. some people don't so I didn't so to me that was really out there to me and I could feel it and um, when I was recovering from that surgery Mm. I knew there was some scar tissue there and I was working on massaging it to let it heal properly and then a year later I was feeling the scar tissue and I felt another lump almost exactly in the same place and immediately had that fear and went back to the doctor but this time I was like right I need to be referred this is what's happened and the GP obviously must have had it in his notes because he was like yes no problem I'll refer you mm. and they then did a, an ultrasound straight away and just said it's it's another one of the same so for me I was very very lucky and I felt so fortunate because all I needed was a lumpectomy so a surgery to remove the lump and all the, the tissue around it um, and I didn't need anything else because I'd caught it so early
0: yeah so there are some really good resources from Copperfield. I don't know if you wanted to shout them yeah, out. Yeah. So
1: actually, it's basically aimed at younger, the younger generation mm-hmm. to try and help educate, which I think a lot of charities are doing the fundraising side of things but copperfield they go to festivals they go to schools they go to all these places which is great what you can do is sign up on their website to get a free monthly text reminder and they're usually quite funny like this first of december it was like make sure you feel your ball balls and they you know Mm -hmm. it makes you laugh and even if you don't feel them there and then it will it will remind you to have a feel later on amazing and you can also get stickers to put in your shower that show you how to feel them If at your workplace you're doing an event, they can send you a pack with loads of stuff. So, like, get on their website and have a look around because it's amazing
0: what they're doing. Fab. Now, a cancer diagnosis at any age is really challenging. But one when you're so young must have been really, really hard, even if it was just that you had to have the lumpectomy. Like, that's a a really terrifying time. How did you find yourself navigating that mentally? And how did you keep resilience? I think...
1: Uh, looking back on all the various things that have been happening the last couple of years, it's actually a lot easier to be the person going through it than the people supporting that person because yeah. you know how you feel and you know that some days you don't want to talk about it. Some days you do and everybody else has to sort of guess what you need that day. And my lovely now husband, George, bless him, like some days he'd say, so, you know, ask me a question about it. I'd say, I don't want to talk about it. And other days we'd get into bed and I'd be like, I can't believe you ever asked me today. So I for me, I was more... Determined than anything else, like I was so annoyed because I was just in the in the throes of like getting into my personal training job, and mm. I really didn 't want anything to slow me down. you know I had to be off exercise for quite a while,, yeah. and all of the fears I ever had when I was younger about under training mm. that I was going to turn into a whale, nothing happened. you know when I started training again, my body adapted as it should do, and my muscles were still there and everything and so it really showed me that. You can slow down, sometimes you need to, and your body will actually thank you
0: for it in the end. So that was a silver lining that I'd mm. take from that. I actually never knew, and you put this in the notes that you sent to me, that you contracted M R S A. Yeah. Well, I mean you couldn't write you couldn't write this really. But how did that come about?
1: Well, a couple of years after all of this breast cancer stuff, I remember just feeling like I'd trapped a nerve in my neck. I just like you know when you wake up and it's a bit stiff and I just thought oh god that's so annoying what's that anyway a few days later I was working in a gym and I asked one of the other trainers can you just look because I feel like I've got a bruise on my back it hurts to touch and he looked on my back and said oh you've got like a spot and I was so embarrassed so I went home and I said to George oh my god you've got to help me get the spot on my back (laughs) because I just I don't really have spots on my back so I was Mm. like oh my god how awful and um he couldn't get it he couldn't pop it I was in so much pain I was bawling my eyes out and the next day at work I actually went to A&E because it was throbbing I couldn't lie down I couldn't sit down they sort of found it quite funny and thought this was a giant zit that they were going to have to pop and um, numbed my back a bit and they couldn't do it they couldn't get anything out of it so what they did is they sliced it in half and put a plaster on top and said oh you know it's like an infection when it's ready it will come out (sighs) and it did it was when it was ready a couple of days later the whole thing came out and actually it was a huge I mean this is disgusting I'm so sorry to be talking about this it was a huge sort of cyst that came out Mm. but what happened after that is that it had spread all the way around my back so I was getting all of these cysts everywhere Mm. I I, uh, must have cut myself shaving under my arm got a huge cyst like the size of a golf ball under there couldn't put my arm down honestly I kept getting these cysts all over my body and I went to the GP and they just put me on some very standard antibiotics went back a couple of days later I was like I'm still I'm feeling awful by this point I had a fever I felt terrible and they kept trying new things and eventually the head of the surgery was really worried because he was like oh, nothing's working I don't know what it is eventually did this blood test and found out that I was I was MRSA positive and then all bells were going like they were getting me ready to go into isolation and trying any antibiotic because the scary thing is is that uh, MRSA is like resilient to all these antibiotics. Mm. Luckily, one of them worked mm. and this fever started going down, all the cysts started going down, and I went to a private skin specialist, a dermatologist before I was going back to work because obviously I work with babies and pregnant women and I didn't want to be contagious or anything like that. So I went to get a full check. And she said, "Yep, it seems to be all gone, but what is this mark on your lower back?" And I'd had this like it was like eczema some days, other days it was a different texture, and I'd had it for a long time, and actually I'd gone to have it checked back when my first breast lump was found, mm. and they said, oh, it looks like you had a mole there, and it's, it's fallen off, mm. and because it's my back, I didn't know, so I was like, yeah. oh, okay... And so that must have been, what, like seven years before? And this doctor said very bluntly, bluntly, looking in my eye, "Um, no, that is skin cancer. And I was there to check my MRSA. I wasn't expecting to get another diagnosis in this. So she said, look, the MRSA, you can take it as a sign. Your body was like at its rock bottom trying to fight something and it couldn't. So she very, very sweetly started writing up all these, um, right, we're going to have to do this on it, this on it. And she said, it's going to cost thousands and thousands of pounds and I just burst into tears like I've basically saved up for this appointment I can't I can't be dealing with you know paying thousands more pounds and she so sweetly said okay listen I also work in the NHS and I'm going to put you top of the list on my clinic and which was so kind and I got rushed through and was seen the next week and I had a couple of rounds of PDT which is photodynamic therapy which is like laser beams on your back I had two different types of skin cancer on two different parts of my back, so that sort of it took quite a long time to sort of get to the bottom of it. But mm-hmm. I'm happy to say that I went for a checkup last week, and I now only have to go in next year, like in a year's time, to have a check. So Yay. it's looking so good. I mean, Aww. they'll obviously always be checking me, but yeah. it's been the best result for ages. So oh, I'm so pleased. It was a horrible thing at the time, but actually, you know, people have gone through much worse, and it was
0: it was there to slow me down, probably. Yeah, and. Life has thrown at you some pretty shitty things, (laughs) I'm just going to say it, and I imagine it's been incredibly tough. But did you feel like you came out of this period ultimately stronger? Yeah, I did. I mean, I felt like, almost like, all right, what
1: else? Throw something else at me, I can do it. Because because I had come out of all of them fine. I know some Mm. people end up not coming out of things fine, so it's a very different story for other people. But I had still done what I wanted to do in my job and I'd still you know had this lovely boyfriend and I had this lovely flat that I love living in and I don't know I feel like it was awful at the time and everyone said to me then oh soon it'll be a distant memory and it didn't feel like it then but it really is you know I don't dwell on it too much but I do like to talk about it because I think it's important to absolutely. make other people aware that these things can happen but also
0: that like I'm completely fine and mm. you know you can get through them mm, absolutely let's talk about your business you the whole time were working on your business which is called bumps and burpees Um, can you maybe explain a little bit more about how it works well bumps and
1: burpees is a business very close to my heart I love it as I poured basically pour my heart and soul into it Mm. it started off in a gym and where the mums would bring their babies to the sessions and there was just a couple to start with and it grew and grew and actually now for the last year and a half it's been going solo it's not in a gym anymore the trainers go to the client's houses. So whether they're pregnant or they have a baby, they're in the comfort of their own home and the trainer will bring with them everything they need to help them sort of through their workout. Um, There are currently 44 trainers across London and a little bit on the outskirts. And... It's it's just amazing. All the trainers are very different, but everyone has the same goal in mind that we need to help mums be exercising and keeping fit and healthy safely. And also, all of the trainers are amazing with babies. So yeah. it's that we feel very strongly that the mums need that hour to themselves. And the baby might be with us, but we do our very best to make sure we hold them we bottle feed them we cuddle them we play with them i mean i'm quite often holding a tiny baby and doing coloring with the toddler whilst instructing the mum what to do Mm. so it's grown from being just about the fitness to more about the whole the lifestyle and the mental well-being of mums and mums to be Mm. and making sure that they are feeling strong as well as well Mm. as being strong to get through the trials and tribulations of motherhood because that throws all sorts of things at you doesn't it
0: we'll be back after this welcome back to give me strength and you are incredible with kids i've seen you in the gym and you are just amazing and there have been many times that you've been like squatting at the same time as holding a baby who
1: doesn't love cuddling (laughs) babies for work i mean
0: it's amazing yeah and now I wanted to move on from that, I guess, to talking about your own fertility journey, which is something that you've spoken out quite openly about recently. Can you maybe explain in your own words how the last year has played out for you? Yeah, well, uh, we got married last September. And, you
1: know, when you get married, you think, oh, it's just going to be like marital bliss from now, you know, and just, everything's going to be amazing. We got married in September and then at Christmas we thought... We'd love to have a family, so let's just see what happens and we'll start trying, you know, in the new year. And I was very aware that it could take a long time, you know, because with all my clients there's so many different ways that they've managed to have a baby, that lots of them have struggled. So I thought, oh, it could take months and months, let's just see how it goes. And I actually found out whilst George was away on a ski trip with his work that I got a positive pregnancy test and this was the first month of us trying and I could not believe it and not a single negative thought came into my head it was just like oh my god this is it and within 10 minutes I was like right so I'm due you know in October and the scan is going to be on this date and you sort of map out the next nine ten months then really sadly about two weeks later or a bit under I just started bleeding like my period was starting and I knew that you can bleed whilst you're pregnant in the early days and you know it's very normal but I wasn't that happy about it. I didn't I didn't feel like it was a good thing. I started having some stomach cramps and I rang the doctor and she said unless it gets to be excruciating pain, you can do all this at home. So I just sort of wrapped myself up in my duvet and and just kind of let it ride out for a few days. And it was it was very early so it was it was like a period just a bit stronger and also it had all the emotions with it. I was really sad. Mm. But we sort of Brush, dust ourselves off, and like the next week, we were like, Right, it's shown us that we really, really wanted this. So we just try again. And the doctor had said, There's no need for you to wait. You can try again. You know, once all the bleeding stopped and there's no risk of infection, then absolutely try again. And we got pregnant the very next cycle. So, whilst I was waiting for my period to come, it didn't come. And I did a test and we were pregnant again. And I just thought, Oh my God. And obviously, I was so nervous but things seemed to be going really, really well. So we went on a trip to New York and things were going swimmingly. I was having some symptoms. I was feeling a little bit nauseous. I had really sore boobs, but I was loving those symptoms because it meant that something was going on. Mm. And it got to nine weeks. I was just like, oh, 12 weeks is so long. I just want to see it. Um, And I was going on a hen weekend for my best friend. So I wanted to make sure I knew I could see it so then I could tell them and that's why I wasn't drinking and all these kind of things. So I went along for this scan and she said, um, okay, so you are definitely pregnant and then she hesitated and George said, it's twins, isn't it? I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And then she just, she had this look on her face that I was like, no, she's not going to say something good. And she said, you're looking to be dating three weeks earlier than you thought you were. Maybe you got your dates wrong. And I was like, well, how on earth is that possible since I was pregnant, like." A month before I got pregnant again I don't think that's possible but there was there was part of me that thought I mean I've never been pregnant fully before so I don't know yes. so she said come back in two weeks and those two weeks were like the longest two weeks ever and all I was doing every day was maths trying to figure out mm. whether I could have ovulated later whether all these things were possible and everyone around me had just convinced me you've got to be positive you've got to be positive and I'm usually very positive but I was struggling and I managed to turn it round and I decided, yeah, you know what? I'm not bleeding. It's still in there. Something must be going well. Maybe it's just growing growing a bit slower. And when we went back for our scan, she did the scan and she just went silent and said, I'm really sorry. And I just felt like my first feeling was anger because I knew two weeks before that I knew it wasn't the yeah. right thing. and. I was angry at the world and I was angry at everyone to con- who convinced me that mm. it was, you know, just about being positive. And I was just, I felt like, th- I felt a physical pain in my chest when she said mm. that, like the ceiling had just fallen down on me. Mm. And then what what she basically explained is that it was a missed miscarriage. So the baby had actually passed a couple of weeks ago, but my body hadn't registered it. So it was still growing the uterus. My hormones were still increasing. So I still felt very pregnant, which seemed so cruel because what I had to do then... Was wait to get a referral to the local hospital, which was about five days later. But in that meantime, I still felt sick. I still like all these things oh. that a minute ago you were so happy about, and I just, I just wanted to crawl into a hole. So I went into this appointment, and they basically said to me, "Right, so the options are we can leave it to happen naturally." And I was like, "No, no, no, no," because it's clearly not going to, mm-hmm. because I've waited all this time, and I just, I know some people like it, and they want it to. End on its own terms, but mm. I couldn't have it inside me anymore. I'd already done sort of two weeks, and then there's extra five days. So I I needed it out, and they said we can either do a surgery, which is called a DNC, um, but that will be in ten days, and equally I was like, oh god, or we can do a, a medical intervention where they would basically induce me. So they, my mum was with me, and they gave me these pills that I was to, I was to take like pessaries, and I went home and. I did what they said I took lots of painkillers and they said oh in about four hours things will start to happen and they were so right bang on four hours I started getting these horrendous cramps I mean contractions but probably if someone's just given birth they'd be like they're not the same but they were Mm. really really severe cramps Mm. and Without being too graphic, basically lots of stuff just kept coming out every time I went to the bathroom. But it lasted all day and tissue just kept coming out. And I just assumed, well, it's passed by now. It's definitely passed. That evening at about nine ten p.m., we were deciding, let's go to bed. Let's get ready for bed. And as I stood up from the sofa to go to brush my teeth, I think, I felt this like drop gravity sort of played a role and something dropped and so I ran to the bathroom and almost before I got there something was out and it was basically the fetus in its sack and I could see it and it was it was something that I I've made peace with it now but I can't forget it and it was it was very um traumatic and I hadn't really been prepared for it to be um a trauma I know it's silly but I thought oh it will just be like a period again and so basically I spent the whole night, because I was still then passing tissue all night and the contractions didn't really stop. I just, I couldn't forget that image. And so I had about two weeks of waking up in the middle of the night in complete hot sweats. I had to change my pyjamas. And every time I fell asleep, I would dream about giving birth to a full-size baby. And it just felt like torture. And eventually the hormones did disappear and I felt lighter as, you know, as a result. But it just took a long, long time for me to move on from the trauma and poor George was just amazing he was there for me and it's very difficult to both be going through something at the same time I think mm-hmm. usually it's one or the other and I was trying to be there for him but in all honesty I was just a complete mess mm-hmm. and a couple of weeks later when I really had got a hold of myself and I felt a bit better he went through a mini breakdown and, and he yeah, yeah he you know he burst into tears and I was so happy to see that because actually yeah. I knew it was so good to do that but he um he wasn't really ready for it. I think he thought he'd dealt with it, but actually mm. just sort of put a Band-Aid over it. And after that, we both felt so much better. And we spent the whole of the summer just
0: doing nice things. And we went on a nice holiday. But and did you feel like you were... And by the way, that was so emotional. I just got really emotional listening I know, to I'm that. Watch you, <laughs> watch I couldn't watch your eyes welling <laughs> up. Like, it's unthinkable. Like, I cannot believe that you had to go through that. And I don't know whether that's, like, a a normal thing to happen or not. Like, I don't know enough about the subject. But that level of trauma is something that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. No, you know, oh my goodness. But did you feel like during that period where you'd sort of, you felt like you'd grieved in a way? I think the difficult thing, I guess, with miscarriage is you don't really know what to grieve like exactly what, because like, you you never had it really in physical terms mm-hmm. but
1: like I said before as soon as you get that positive test you've mapped out your whole yeah your whole year your whole 10 years you are starting to plan oh we need to get this kind of car because we need this yeah. extra car seat and all these things so not you've never physically had the baby but you do you've had it you've become yeah. like a, a A lot of people say they become a mother from the first positive test and I can see exactly what they mean. You start caring about your body in this very motherly way and Mm. I I definitely felt like I was grieving, but it wasn't like grieving a grandparent where you can say, oh, well, they had a really good life and we can talk about these memories. It felt very lonely because as much as everybody's there for you and everything... It's hard to even describe what it feels like. It just felt so unfair. I felt robbed, very robbed,
0: because you just got given something yeah. and then it was just taken. One of the things I was going to ask was, I guess when we experience trauma in any way, we, we want to search for answers. We want to know why this has happened or why yeah. is my body doing this to me? Did you find yourself sort of really searching for oh, yeah. a reason? I got completely
1: suctioned into like these
0: Google holes
1: and Obviously, so many of the the, the forums I found myself on were really, really helpful. Mm. But it's not you. It's not the answer you want. And actually, what you want to be told is that this is all a dream. And, you know, actually, you've got that pregnancy. So I found it really helpful to know that other people were going through the same thing. And a missed miscarriage is actually very common. But I didn't know it even existed, if I'm Mm. honest. I thought... If you're not bleeding, all is good. I just didn't realise your body could still hold on to it. But the more and more I I was honest about it at the end of the summer, when I sort of felt ready to be, the amount of women and men actually who messaged me was just overwhelming. And it, it felt so warming and like I felt very happy that I'd done it because for me... It was very comforting to know how many people were in the same situation as us. Mm. And for them, they were saying, thank you for being open about it, because I feel very lonely. And so I remember back to when I felt like that, how I would have loved for someone to sort of speak so honestly about not just the medical side of things, but what it feels like and what the doctor said. And then what did I do? Mm. And then what did I do? and. I also spoke a bit about it from George's side of things because I feel very strongly that there's not enough support for the supporters. Mm. Um, you know, my parents were really upset, my brothers and sisters were really upset and I don't think they feel like they're allowed to be upset so they yeah. sort of just keep themselves there for you. So I, I the, the reaction to that was amazing,
0: it just shows me that I'm not on my own. Mm. I think one of the things that also makes miscarriage really difficult is that See, most people wait until twelve weeks to tell yeah. people that they're pregnant and both of your miscarriages that we've spoken about have happened prior to twelve weeks. So a lot of people don't know. And this means that like a lot of people don't actually know what you're going through at the time. Like you can't really tell people. Or if you do, you have to say, Oh, by the way. I I was was pregnant. And now I'm not. And now I'm not. And that must be really challenging and quite isolating as well to to feel like you only have a few people that you can really talk to about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I really hated dropping that bombshell because when you say to people, I was pregnant, their eyes light up for a second and Mm. you you say like, but I'm not anymore. Mm. And you're sort of dropping two bombshells on them. So it's made me realise that, yes, don't announce it to the world because stuff can happen. And if you're not really in a place to be sort of telling them all the de- all the details, then don't announce it really until you're sure. Mm. But you do need to tell some people because, you know, maybe somebody at your work, because if you need some time off or you need, you know, someone to cry to, it's so important that they know what you're going through. Or even if you're pregnant again after a loss, you're going to be so anxious. And so it's nice to have someone that knows why you might be a bit off form or might not want to go to a party or yeah something like that so everybody's very different but I'd say don't have it as a blanket rule that like oh my god must hide it from everybody Mm. if you want to tell someone then just do
0: as a friend I found it really difficult to know how to maybe react or what to say I didn't want to say the wrong thing but Mm -hmm. then I didn't really know what the right thing was to say how do you think that we can all be a bit more empathetic to those who are going through a miscarriage. Like, is there anything that you think is a good thing to say? I mean, everyone's different, I know, but I would just say, I guess, nervous to say the wrong thing. Yeah, of course. And the first thing I think I would say is that saying
1: nothing could be sometimes worse than saying something. Yeah. Of so obviously and I would be nervous too to approach someone who'd had a miscarriage or something big happened in their life. But mm. almost pretending it isn't happening is belittling what they're going through. So I'd say even if you just say, I'm so sorry to hear what you're going through. I'm here if you want to talk. That's that's something that's so comforting to someone. And they may not come to you to talk, but at least they know that you've acknowledged that they're having a hard time and they're there if you need them. Now, the other thing that people kept saying to us, which... I definitely have said to other people in the past so it's been a real learning curve for me is kept saying at least something so try to put a positive spin on it so at least you can get pregnant and that was so hurtful at the time obviously I know their intention so I wasn't angry Mm. at them but it's it's sort of taking away what they're grieving from Mm. of course we are happy that we can get pregnant and that's something that now we really rely on to keep our spirits up but Mm. we wanted that one and so it's like somebody losing a leg and saying, well, at least you've got the other leg. You sort of have to acknowledge that what they're going through now is rubbish. Mm. And actually, Emma Cannon replied to my message when I explained to her what happened, um, because I was seeing her for acupuncture yeah, throughout yeah. the mall. She said, oh, well, this is just shit, isn't it? And, and that was what you wanted. And, and I was like, oh, my God, yes. Like, and that's all she said. And she said, mm. look, we'll deal with this. But right now, just go through the emotions. Let the sadness come let the frustration come and that's it and so I've really learned that too if some for anything in my life now if anyone comes to me and they're having a bad day don't always try to put the positive spin on it there
0: is a time for that yeah but sometimes they just want to be in a bad mood I think there's so much in just acknowledging people's emotions yeah through everything that you've gone through how do you feel like your relationship has changed with your body Well, that's really interesting because I think it's obviously
1: evolved over the years. Um, I didn't have a very good relationship when I was younger with it. And then I really worked on it and um, I started seeing how strong it was. And, you know, I was really sort of in awe of my body. Then with all of the, the different diagnoses and challenges that have come my way through my body, I sort of started assuming and expecting bad things to happen which is obviously not a nice place to be. And it's quite a terrifying place to be, actually. Mm -hmm. So after the first miscarriage, I was kind of using the language with myself, like, well, of course, obviously that would happen to me. And I try so hard not to be like that. But having never had a positive experience in it, I don't have anything to draw from other than negative. So I was not trusting my body. And that's terrifying. So I was always expecting it to not do what it's supposed to and looking around and even though I know from all the messages I've been getting and what I've been reading that hundreds of thousands of women are going through the same thing as me Mm. you look around and all your friends are getting pregnant all the people on social media are getting pregnant and even though they may have struggled too it doesn't seem like they are and you just feel like why am I the only one that my body doesn't play ball and doesn't do what it's supposed to Mm. so I've done a lot of work on it and obviously it's it's an ongoing thing but I think on one side of things I am so grateful to my body for Mm. figuring out that maybe these pregnancies weren't viable and wouldn't be able to make it and therefore my body sort of took care of it but then the other side of things I was thinking what if they are and my body's just being so annoying and Mm. doing things it's not supposed to so I'm constantly battling with like making sure I try and trust my body and
0: that it's doing something for a reason that you said something really interesting when I rang you the other day and we were talking about this and you said when my body was at its weakest my head was almost at its strongest. Yeah, I feel and like it, it, it. they sort of take turns. Yeah, and that when your body was at its strongest, your mental health actually wasn't probably at its strongest. Yeah. And interesting how you've kind of fluctuated between those two things, but that you've had to ultimately learn to just respect whatever your body is giving to you and... yeah. I guess that, that word trust is really interesting as well that you say I just had to learn like to trust, trust. the process and it's such a cheesy line yeah. but it's,
1: it's actually all you can do. Mm. There's not much else we can do to control what our body's doing. You know, I'm putting in all the goodness, I'm eating well, I'm exercising and actually it does have a plan of its own sometimes and it's doing what, you know, what it thinks is right and your, your mind has to be strong to not crumble under that. Mm. I mean, we also have had another miscarriage but one one was super super early and other one was a little bit longer but Mm. in those times I felt like because it wasn't such a physical trauma you know I didn't have to see anything horrible it was really early days yeah my mind really struggled because at that point it felt like oh god we really have a problem now and now I'm put into that bracket whereas before I really I kind of thought oh it's just bad luck we're one of those people that statistic you know whereas My body was completely fine over the last two, but my my mind really struggled and I felt very,
0: very down. I'm sure it was pretty exhausting. Oh, yeah. You've got this constant narrative in your head of what if every day. Well, it's that. It's my mental
1: side of things that makes it exhausting. But but remember, I've had pregnancy hormones up, down, up, down, up, down four times. So in 10 months to be pregnant four times, it plays havoc on your body. Mm. And my body's been through some changes this year and probably not that obvious from the outside, but I can feel the difference so much. and I've just had to sort of accept that it's happening and, you know, it's for a good reason eventually and whatever. But the hormones are no joke. Like when when in the movies, when these pregnant women are crying, that is me. Like I cry at I'm a celebrity. I cry at all sorts of adverts. It's I mean, and you just have to remember that your body is just doing its thing and um Yeah, I mean, George has been an absolute rock in this whole thing. And I would say that my relationship with him, I didn't think it needed strengthening, but it has absolutely... We've sort of become a team as well as a couple. And that's been really, really nice because I feel like we're really in it together. We tackle it together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's been the silver lining of this whole year for sure, is Mm -hmm. that... um, I feel so secure, and you know, I can absolutely see how it would break couples apart because it's like the worst thing you'd ever go through Mm. as a couple because it's not only something horrible at the time, it's sort of destroying your dreams bit by bit. And so it's sort of both of you in it together. So when I look back at um, any of the physical challenges I had early on in Mm. life, that was just me, Mm. and he was there for me. Whereas the guilt I feel, even though I know it's not my fault, the miscarriages that I'm like, ruining our dreams together so it's a lot to go through and I think it can strengthen you if you allow it to and if you don't put too much pressure on the relationship and just be there for each other. And do you think ultimately like communication is the most important thing? Oh my god completely. We have always been quite good at communicating anyway but I think even more so there were some days where he would text me after the um the the missed miscarriage he would text me from work saying how are you and I was getting really almost embarrassed that my reply was always like I'm really sad Mm. and I'm crying again and so after a while I started replying saying yeah I'm feeling a bit better today and I, I wasn't and he knew that and he would come home and I wasn't better but that's because he knows me very well and I think all I needed to do was say to him not having a good time, but I was just—I just so badly wanted to be doing better that mm. I just kept saying, "Oh no, no, I'm really, really doing better." And I even said to you, looking back, I was not doing better. Yeah. But it does—it just t- takes time. It's like any
0: grieving process. Yeah, and they say time is the best healer. Yeah, and I remember seeing you at different periods after all of this had happened, and each time you were like, "I feel better than the last time." Yeah,
1: each time I thought I was—I was fully better. Yeah.
0: I know that there'll be people who are listening who have probably experienced or are experiencing something similar to what you've gone through. What would your advice be to someone that, that is maybe going through that? I would always say
1: find out your options because I was very lucky in the sense that my doctors actually really explained all of the options to me. But I've had quite a lot of messages from women saying, I've I've listened to what you've said and I I only got offered the surgery or I didn't get offered this. So do a bit of research I wouldn't say self-diagnose things on Google, but the NHS has some wonderful um, information and just look up what you can do to help yourself. So then when you go to the doctors, you're a little bit more clued up about what to be asking for. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is never be afraid just to get things checked out. If you're in your pregnancy and you're worried something's going wrong, don't just sit there in a pool of anxiety. Go and speak to your doctor or your midwife if you have one already and talk about it. It's such a lonely time. It's honestly so lonely. Even if you and your partner are talking very openly about it, you do feel like the only person in the world and everything else in your life seems to just dissipate in importance. Mm. And it's sad and it it will get better. But if you don't talk about it, even to one person I feel like that that dark cloud just doesn't lift and it made me feel so much better even some of my friends just t- and you and texting me just checking in today and even mm-hmm. if I didn't reply that day just knowing that you have sort of there and you knew what I was going through mm-hmm. was really nice mm-hmm. so I'd say even
0: open up just to one person would really help. When you were going through what you were going through, and I was trying to be there for you, there was a couple of really good support sites. There's one called Tommy's, which I think yeah. has a good thing. And then also the Miscarriage Association, which has like a whole section on how to help others. So I guess reading a little bit about it, knowing what someone's going through and, and being yeah. able to be supportive is also really important.
1: Yeah, and also accepting that you, you can't really help them in the sense that you can't take their pain away. But if they're the kind of friend that might like to be distracted, suggest going on a walk or something like that, or maybe go over, take over lots of chocolate and just (laughs) have a good cry with them. So, you know, be there for them. Don't shy away from helping someone because you don't know what to say. The best thing is to say anything at all, Mm. honestly, Just, just let them know that you're there. And I think people should listen to this kind of podcast to help others I think if you're going through it you're going to do all the research anyway mm. but if you're if someone close to you is going through any kind of loss actually learning the good things to say and how to be there for them is so important I think mm. I
0: absolutely agree Charlie as I said in my opening paragraph there aren't many people that I know that demonstrate strength like you you have got resilience like nothing else against some of the most challenging experiences and i am so incredibly proud to know you as a friend now you're gonna get me all teary. <laughs> um i have two final questions which i cover in every podcast and the first one is what does strength look like to you
1: well i think strength more and more looks like to me like the little things so rather than the big overall strength i think to get to that you have to be Able to get up every day, even if you're feeling, you know, in a low place, or to push through things that you're scared of. To me, all those little things add up to, you know, the gymnastics medals that you mm. might win at the end, or recovering from a surgery or whatever. I think getting through things that frighten you or every day—that's what strength looks like to me. Mm. And who in your life demonstrates
0: strength the most? I
1: knew you were going to ask me this question, <laughs> so I've been thinking so hard about it. Um, and I can't really choose. I think the main thing is that I see women all day every day that are going through such a huge change in their life yeah and to say that we get all the emotions as an understatement like I get a lot of tears I get elation I get fear that demonstrates strength to me to just allow your body to do its thing when mm. sometimes it's really really not nice mm. you have horrible symptoms all these things um, as well as the most amazing things so I think that demonstrates a lot of strength to me and actually all the people in my life who have been able to support me when I've been going through tough things because It's not easy to see someone you love going through something hard, but it's even more difficult to know how the hell you support them. So I feel very lucky that I'm surrounded by so many strong people and I absolutely don't think I would be anywhere near as strong if I didn't have that support
0: group. So Mm. I think I've sort of got really lucky with who I've got around me. I hope so, Charlie <laughs> It has been an absolute pleasure. I am so honoured that you have decided to share your story because I think it will help so many people. I hope so. Everything we've covered today, like there is so much in there that I think is really important for people to listen to. I just cannot thank you enough for being so open and honest about it, and I love you very much. Thanks so <laughs> much. Before I get emotional, <laughs> thank you so so much. Thanks for having thank me. You. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.